for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome, grinders, to another Insights edition of Blue Collar Elk Hunting, where I have the opportunity to interview people from all walks of life and talk about all things elk. But for today's show... It's going to be a collaboration podcast, something I love to do, especially when it includes incredible people. And on today's show, I joined my buddy, Chad Riker, from the Backcountry Rookies podcast. And Chad has been doing a series called Stories from the Hunt, where he interviews his guests about the ins and outs of their hunts this season. Chad thinks he's going to hear about my elk hunt which he eventually does, but not before I turn the tables on him to hear his stories and have some fun. It's a great time, y'all, and we bring up scenarios, mistakes, possible solutions, and hear some incredible stories. So buckle up, because the ride is going to be high energy and one to enjoy. So my friends, pull up a chair, turn your volume up just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting's Insights Edition. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello, everyone. I'm Joe Gillia from Elk Bros, and you are listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. And you're also listening to the Backcountry Rookies show. So I'm the host of the Backcountry Rookies, Chad Riker, and I wanted to start out by having my good friend Joe Gillia on from, from the Elk Bros and Blue Collar Elk Hunter Podcast to talk about his stories from the season. So yeah. we're going to start off, and we're going to talk stories from the season with Joe. These guys had a phenomenal show and i can't wait wait a second i'm gonna cut you off chad man uh we're doing a collaboration show here and i know it's gonna be something that both audiences will totally enjoy but but i'm gonna turn the table so instead of you doing that with me i know you've been in the woods yourself yeah yep i have and (laughs) turn the tables that's a good one joe i like that so Uh, so let's let's do some stories from the season and let's 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 hear it from you Okay, fair enough. I had a pretty interesting season, so this ought to be a pretty pretty good show. But you're not getting away that easy. We're gonna listen to. <laughs> we're gonna get your story too. Okay, okay cool, cool. I've got All I've right. got plenty of stories. But yeah, I know you do. Fair enough. 
the stories from my season. What do you want to know? I'll tell you all about it. I had a phenomenal season that didn't end in success, but I, I, I just had a, a great, great year this year. So, so you, you know, I, I talked with you a little bit. We talked about the season. You've been up and down from the mountains. Um, you've Ooh. had some close calls. Uh, and you had some things that you're like, well, I'm not too sure if I did this right or I might have blown this right. So tell us a story, man. Tell us about some of those close encounters and what rocked your world while you were up there. And where did you go, first of all? So first I went out to the Gila National Forest with a couple of my good friends, uh, social media buddies, people that I've met through the podcast and just kind of some of the, the power of social media, I guess. Uh -huh. um, went out to the Gila National Forest, which is a phenomenal place. And I got to hunt with a friend of mine. It wasn't really my hunt, but if you want to experience elk, the Gila is a spot where you can do that. I was completely blown away at the amount of elk that are out there in that, in that area of New Mexico. So there was, was elk the, all over the What was the, the date that you guys were down there? Labor Day weekend, whichever, whatever the date is on that. Yes. I, I think it was like September 3rd through the 7th or something like that. Yeah, it's like early season, right? Okay. Yeah, very early season. Um, limited elk bugling. I mean, to me, I think the ideal time to hunt is late September because I think that's when you're coming into that rut and you're going to start hearing the bugles. But we were hearing slight morning bugles even in early September out there. Uh -huh. And most of what we were seeing was it, a lot of it was during the daytime when it was getting warm out. If you just spent some time behind the glass, you could see them bedded up and, and, you know, you find those nice deep, dark canyons and, and we were finding them out there. Some of them, we were just walking through the woods and we were kicking up 280 class bulls, you know, that were just wandering through the woods feeding. Just, just an incredible experience to, to go out there. And unfortunately, Dan, well, fortunately he killed a, a really, really nice bull, but, we, myself and my buddy CJ weren't out there with him for it. It was after Labor Day weekend and we'd already left. So he so, pulled a solo, right? There was, so interest, that was kind of a crazy hunt. So Dan went out there. I've, I recorded a podcast with him. So if you really want to hear some more details about uh -huh. uh, okay. Dan's hunt, you can go over to the My Backcountry Rookies page and you can check out that. His name is Dan Porter. It's called Hunting in the Gila. But basically, he didn't draw that that elk tag he was gifted that elk tag by a military guy who was deployed and couldn't use it and oh, in wow. new mexico that's that's a thing that you can do i, I there's some rules behind it you got to be a deployed military i think there might be something to do with a disability um but either way dan had a good friend of his that uh deployed and wasn't able to use that tag so he gifted it to my friend Dan, and he was able to hunt off of that tag. That's that's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like it's some chump unit either. It was a really, really good unit in the Gila. So Dan went out there. He did a little bit of planning and preparation with. Um, there was another guy that was in on that tag with Dan's buddy. Sorry if that's a big convoluted mess, but there was basically there was two guys. One guy had to give up the tag, and Dan went out there. So he, the friend was out there on the mountain and we, he kind of did his own thing and he had his own plan. And then there was another group of guys that had a camper and a big tent set up and all kinds of stuff when, when Dan arrived to camp, but everybody just hunted on their own and they really did their own thing. So basically he was solo, but after he killed the bull, 
one of the other guys was able to go in and help him pack it out. Oh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. So you said something, yeah. though. You said something that I don't often hear during the archery season, especially the places that I hunt. But you said that you guys were glassing up the bulls. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a different thing that I hear a lot of times in archery. Well, when they're not talking, you got to find them in some way, right? Uh-huh. And sure. and to be, if you've ever been down, you're from New Mexico too, so you kind of know there's areas that are, they're not like hunting in deep dark forest of northern Colorado or, or Oregon or something, so where yeah. you can't see in front of you. You could sit on a hilltop and you can glass far ridges and you could see them. You could see bedded bedded elk. Um, a couple of the really nice ones that Dan got in on were, were just that they were bed. One of them, he was, and I'm not, I don't want to make this all about Dan's hunt, but it, it was such a cool hunt that it, I think it's worth it. He had, he had glassed up a, a really nice bull at about 1200 yards and he stalked all the way in on that bull to four yards and wow. stood right behind it. Literally instant or Facebook live <laughs> like this, holding his phone. Talking no to the phone, and there's a bedded bull four yards behind him. No and he's way, like, man. He says, should I shoot it? And, you know, people are like, no, don't shoot it. Don't shoot it. You're in the Gila. <laughs> and he ended up passing on it, you know, but four yards away. And it was I, – I would have shot that thing first thing, <laughs> Joe. That thing didn't have a chance if it was me. But anyway, so – you know, we had a blast. It would have been cool though. Some if if the vote would have been shoot it, shoot it, and after doing all this, and he turns to make the shot, and the bull's like, ah, forget this. I'm yeah, he's gone. Here. He's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? right. Well, that would that would certainly be my luck. But anyway, that was a really really cool for me. That was a good hunt, and I'll kind of bring this all back full circle. Why I, I I like to talk about going out there with those guys. They're both very experienced elk hunters. Right. Um, I, I can't really tell you how many years together they have nothing, nothing like you, you know, you've got tons of experience, but these guys are successful year after year mm-hmm. and they're, they're just, to me, they're good elk hunters. Yeah. And for me to be out there with both of them, Dan and CJ, I was able to take a lot of points away from it or info or, or lessons away from those guys. And things that I haven't seen before. Like I've always hunted with a certain group of guys and being able to help with or hunt with different people. It taught me a lot because there, we did a, we, and I'll just, here's, here's one example, right there. So hunting with my old hunting partner, my old buddy, Gus, that guy was go, 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 go all the time, right? Constantly right. moving. Yeah. And when I went with Dan and CJ, we heard a bull bugle down in the bottom of a big Canyon and they said, well, let's just back out and we're just going to go up here on the other side of this ridge and we're just going to hang out until the wind shifts and until we might get a better opportunity at that bull. And we did. We went and sat for like four or five hours up on the top of the mountain waiting for the air to cool back down and the wind to change and for us to have an opportunity to get back down into that without our wind carrying the wrong way. Um Gus, Gus would have walked 18 miles to find a different approach to come in on that bull. <laughs> right. He would have consistently been moving and moving and moving instead of just sitting down and, and being patient. I think there's things to take away from each one of those, right? I, there's a pot. If right. you're moving and moving and moving, maybe you come up on another bull, right? Maybe you encounter something different. Yeah. Um, maybe you don't lose the opportunity because in, in 
what happened was by the time the evening time rolled around, we went back in and we tried to call to that bull and we tried to find that bull and he was gone. So we lost that opportunity and we lost five hours, half a day, five hours. Right. We lost half of a day of hunting. Right. Um, in the approach for that, that one bull. So he didn't have eyes on him then. Right. We didn't actually have eyes on. We just knew, we knew pretty darn close to where he was at just based on the bugle because it was close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a thick canyon and thick timber and we just weren't able to, to see him. Anyway, so I think there's something to learn there. There's multiple oh, different ways that we could have, that we could have approached it. Dan wasn't in a big hurry though. So Dan's idea was that he was in the, the Gila National Forest and if it wasn't a 300 or bigger bull, he didn't want anything to do with it. So he, <laughs> and you know, and so yeah. on Dan, on the podcast that we did with Dan, there was a, a lot, we had a kind of a long teaching moment there or a takeaway that was kind of like, understand the hunt that you're in, understand the age class of the bull, understand how big the bulls can get in that area. Right. Cause if that would have been a, a different unit um, and I don't know, I, I, whatever, any other unit, a 300 class bull is a giant in some units. You know, that's like a one, there's not very many of those things running around, but in the Gila, that's a pretty common sight to see. Right. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to give another takeaway from it though, that, that I think's interesting is that, you know, when you listen to what Dan's style was, because you said, like you said, the the bulls really weren't talking, right? Because I I talked, I mean, you might get some in the morning, but by a certain time, it's just like, shut up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I talked to other guys that were hunting in the Gila and I was getting texts from guys going, man, the hunt is so hard. I'm not hearing any bugles. When's the ruck going to happen? When are they Mm going to start? And I I think this is a huge, huge takeaway here that, um, that will also reverb through my stories there is that so many people are out there in a quality area like the Gila and areas all over the West where they are hunting bugles instead of hunting opportunities and Mm -hmm. you know they're they're kind of that one trick pony if they don't have that it's like somebody's cut their legs off man they just don't know what to do with it so you know uh, you you take dan and he knows that he's in where there's bulls and this guy's been in this area before he's hunted new mexico before and he's been Mm -hmm. successful before and you know, he's got that patience and he also has the skill set that he knows that, yeah, you know, the elk are here. If I'm not hearing them crank out a bugle, there's other ways to create my opportunities. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that is the biggest takeaway from, from that hunt of his. Yeah, there was a lot to, to be learned there. And it was, it, like I said, it was really, really cool. And there was a few times where, so Dan was, obviously he was the shooter and me and CJ were both just kind of running camp. We were taking pictures and right. we were helping scouting, you know, doing stuff. And there was a few times where I stopped CJ and I said, Hey man, I'm just kind of curious what, why we're doing it this way. Like when I've hunted with my buddy Gus in the past, and Gus was always kind of my teacher for the first few years. Cause he had a ton of experience. He'd been hunting uh-huh. elk his whole life. Um, but I like at one time in particular is CJ had seen some elk right over on a little ridge at the edge of a burn. He had seen some elk over there and Dan was kind of going the other way and Gus would have stopped everything and said, there is elk right there. Let's go. And it would have been a, 
balls to just the wall. at all out balls <laughs> to the wall to go yeah. get those elk and to find those elk well cj and dan we kind of made our way around and we were looking at a different area that i think was probably a better opportunity like you said hunt the opportunities yeah and i stopped cj and i said why aren't we going balls to the wall because that's what i've always been told right I, we need to go balls to the wall and he pulls out his little wind checker ch -ch -ch checks the wind winds going totally the wrong way the elk that he saw weren't very big i think it was a spike and a cow uh -huh. and he says i'm not why blow them out yeah why right. blow them out of here the wind is wrong and they're not the elk we're looking for we'll right. just keep going this other way and we're going to look for a different opportunity that was huge to me because <laughs> as the rookie hunter and i think a lot of people will do this I have another story here shortly and where, oh my God, there's an elk. Let's go. And everybody rushes towards that elk and they, you end up losing that opportunity because you you've done it incorrectly. And again, I, I'll get to another one that happened to me and Jordan this past weekend. That was, um, we afterwards after we got done we pulled out and we said boy we totally did that wrong we did that all wrong we need to think about this approach uh, but anyway so that was my gila adventure and it was so cool just to be able to go out there and actually meet those guys both of them have been on the podcast now you know and we've had relationship for a couple of years and we've gotten to be good friends and then to be able to link up on the mountain we just it was really cool to go out there and experience that too oh absolutely so, that's awesome that's awesome. So that, that kind of made you hungry because you had hunts coming up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So my year this year has been totally off, the, the, not what I wanted. And mostly because I started a new job and I don't have any vacation. And I'm a weekend warrior this year. I'm only getting out and hunting, hunting weekends. Tough. That's tough. It, it is tough. Um, yeah, it's, it's very tough. And I was hunting solo for one of those weekends. So not only was I by myself, but I didn't even really have time to build everything into the hunt that I wanted to. And by say build, I just mean that, that rule or not that rule, but Randy Newberg says it all the time, right? Uh -huh. If I've got four days, I'm doing one day of scouting and I can't remember how he does all his setup, but he, he always goes in with a plan. Well, I had my longest hunt of the year for me was two and a half days and that right. was it. Right. So um, Colorado, I drew a good tag in southwestern Colorado, drew an archery tag and a bull tag. And I went out for a weekend and I was able to hunt all day on a Friday, all day on a Saturday, and then just a little bit of Sunday. Mm -hmm. And um, that I'll, I'll talk a little bit too about, I think, time management and energy management maybe. But that's so the reason I had to come out early on Sunday wasn't because I didn't have to be at work until early Monday morning. But the area that I was hunting was if I would have shot a bull in where I was in totally. to the elk, yeah. it was four, almost four miles uphill to get to where the bulls were at. Right. And to me, that takes me about two hours to get up in there unloaded with no yeah. weight on my back. And right. then coming back downhill, I'm figuring you double that. That's six hours by myself. I'm thinking four trips. I'm looking at 24 hours of pack time if I'm constantly moving, you know? Yeah, and um, at least you did that, though, Chad, because I, I'm not able to tell you how many people that I've talked to 
they don't have any of that plan. I mean, they're going elk hunting. The plan, and, and I'm not sure if it's because a lot of guys are like, well, I'm a first timer. In fact, I've heard this from people. I'm a first timer. I don't expect to get anything. Well, that bothers me right off the bat. You know? but, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of guys go out there and, I mean, they're hiking in four miles. They're hiking in mm-hmm. five miles and really don't have a plan for when they, when they do kill. And right. like you said, man, I mean, uh, if you end up in a hot weather day in September or days that you do that, uh, and you kill four miles back and you're solo, you, it could be a huge problem. So uh, it's mm-hmm. a good thing you thought about those issues. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of that is because of guys like yourself and some of the other just the podcast that I've done and the information that I've had is I was able to kind of think about that. And my total intention was to hunt most of the day on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But when I got in there on that first day and I realized how, how far in that I w- was, when I got into the elk, I started doing that time management and looking at watches and looking at times and thinking, man, if this, if this goes down, there's like, Literally, there was no way because I knew it was probably going to take four trips. Yeah. And I just knew that's 24 hours time and I don't have that before I need to be back to work. So I, I cut my trip a little bit short and, mm-hmm. you know, that's okay. I'd rather do that than have a half a bull laying on the ground Absolutely, that I can't recover man. because, no. yeah. Yeah, it was a smart call. Um, I mean, totally smart call. Yeah. So that hunt was awesome though, Joe. It was so cool because – so I went out there, not that I didn't expect to kill anything. I, I went into an area where I was at two years ago, uh-huh. hunting with my buddy Gus and, and another friend of ours, Neil, and we got into elk out there. So my, my thinking was, well, let's just go back and try it again. I had a couple of other spots picked out too, but those were covered up by hunters by the time I got out there. And I just decided to go into this old unit and try it out. I knew the terrain. I knew how to get in and out of there. I knew where there was good campsites and all, you know, it just was comfortable and familiar. Well, which is huge if you're going to only have the weekend. That's huge. Right. So I didn't really need to do a ton of Mm e-scouting. I already had some spots on a map from two years ago that were relevant. You know, they were good. Um, So I thought, why not? Let's go try it. And I got up in there, uh, hiked all the way in. I, I kind of went up, I saw another hunter early in the morning down low. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say about 8,500 feet elevation. And that's kind of where I wanted to go, but I saw him cut into the woods early. So I, I just went up higher thinking, well, I'll get out of his way. I don't want to impact his hunt. Um, so I just, I kind of went past him and I went on up higher. And I, I hiked in a main trail, you know, a good hiking trail. And then I dumped off and I got into the woods and actually started hunting the the woods. You know, I wasn't trying to call from the trail or do anything crazy like that. I wanted to, I wanted to get in deep. So I did, I went through all the deadfall and all that nasty crap that everybody hates, you know? Right. And I just decided I, it was time to start bugling and I ripped off a bugle and I had a response first bugle that I bugled out you know I, I don't even and I'm a terrible bugler so I think they must have been real dumb elk up in there but <laughs> I got a response and th- I mean of course that's energy is is automatic right when oh, you shoot. start hearing Heck bulls yeah. right off the bat um, yeah. my opening day it wasn't you know it was my first day out so I get a response and I go in my typical I always call it gust mode 
and hunting with my old buddy Gus. And I go straight for that bugle and I start making my way going that way. I would say that bugle, the response, it was pretty good ways away, maybe 500 yards, something like okay. that. And so it felt like the it distance. was. So I listened to the Elk Bros podcast and I know that I got to cut that distance and I'm going to cut it in half, right? So I start moving and I start trying to get closer to that bugle. And I go to, I move, I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but I moved a considerable amount trying to get in closer and I bugled and I got my response and that response was much closer now. Well, this, this is where I think I went wrong, but the, you, there's also two sides to every story and we'll see. <laughs> I want, I want Joe's opinion on this. All right. So at that, we'll call it 200 man he was probably closer than 200 we'll call it like 150 yards we'll right. say 150 he responds and it was a good loud bugle he sounded like a monster honestly big growly deep bugle and i was like oh man this is going to be a big boy coming in here right well i continued to move i kept moving forward and i kept bugling and i was coming up over a ridge and as i came up over that ridge i met that bull on the ridge top 35 yards away I looked over I kind of stopped and I was looking around I'm hearing some slight sticks cracking and stuff and I look over and there's a little rag actually I couldn't even tell that it was a bull at first he was kind of you know that head low he was curious looking at me I couldn't really see his antlers and then he popped up a little bit and I could see he was a little raghorn four but he was at about 35 yards and I was totally unprepared, Joe. I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you. I was standing there with the bugle tube in my hand and a, cow, and a cow call in my mouth, nothing ready to go on my bow, no arrow knocked, no range finder, no anything. Totally unprepared to see that elk. But, of course, I get all excited. The elk gets excited. He spooks, and he runs out probably 60-ish yards away, 60 or whatever, I can make that shot, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready at all for that encounter. Right. And I guess I'm going to pause myself right here. Um, my question is, should I have held back before I went up over that ridge and tried to bring that bull down? Oh, or was God. that aggressive approach? Do you think that aggressive approach was right? And I just, so I didn't do it correctly when I got in close. So I always tell people you hurry up to slow down. Right. And I, I think your biggest mistake was you had a terrain advantage that you gave away. And, you know, even when you were at the 150, now I'm not able to see what's going on here, but at 150, how thick is, how thick are the woods at 150? I, I could have got a, in the right, like in the right little meadow-ish type of area, I probably could have shot 50 yards. Okay. So, I mean, so we're talking that we've got some thick, area right so right. To, to approach when it's thick if you're at 150 and you want to get to that 100 um now you had a bull first of all and here's the things you got to think about is you had a bull that responded to you right and then you move in you cut that distance to 150 and you do something that uh you're, you're trying to find out you're actually putting a feeler out so you throw another call out he responds big and aggressive right mm -hmm. and at, at that point even at 150 um, I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's responded to me twice. He just responded to me aggressively. So there's a good chance that even at 150, this bull's coming. So now here's where your decision is, Chad, is that 
whose home court do you want it to be on? And what right. you do is when you set up and you choose the setup and you choose the terrain, what you have, now you've changed it to your home court because you get a chance to see a moving animal if that animal is moving in. Now, when you continue to move in on that animal, you're taking a chance because you're giving them home field advantage because now if that bull is looking or is moving and looking, you're a whole lot easier to spot. Now, what I would have done in that is when I came up to that, change in that hill, that change in that terrain. And and I always tell people to remember when you're setting up, you want to set up in a way so that a bull either has to come through thick area into your shooting lane or utilizing the terrain to come over and have to look in order before they make that move. So I really like stopping prior to a top out and setting up uh, so that that top out is within my shooting range because now I'm closer. You know you're closer because you were 150, right? And Mm -hmm. so remember what a bull does. Bulls or elk, they go off visual one, sound two, right? Okay. And then they're going off the smell. So as as that animal, if that animal, if you set up there and that animal, that bull does come over and he, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to come over the rise if you start your calling. So if you do your setup and you're within shooting range of that rise and you throw a cow call behind you, or you throw that bull behind you because that's what he's been responding to. All right. You throw that back behind you. Now that bull is going to have to top out in order to see. And because that bull is having to top out, you're going to see horns, number one, which is going to help you as far as drawing. And he's already within your shooting range because you set up within the top of that. That bull is going to top out and stop and look. Okay. So the, the only problem is when they top out and stop and look, you could have a frontal. All right, that's where you just got to be a little bit of patient because he's going to come up there. He's going to stop for a second. He's really, really going to look. All right. And then Mm -hmm. that bull is either going to do one of two things. This is where the bull dies. That bull is either going to turn to go away because didn't see anything and he get disinterested. And now it's a and it's a broadside shot. Okay, or he's going to continue to come down. And that's where things could really, really get interesting. Uh, if he continues to stay frontal. But most mm-hmm. of the time, if you're within shooting range of the top of that hill, you're 30 yards, okay? Yeah, yeah. So he continues to come over. Now you have some decisions to make when that happens, depending on if you're at full draw or not. Myself, I'm not able to be. Even if I saw those horns topping out like that, I wouldn't be at full draw yet. I would know that that bull's going to come over, and I want to see what he does when he comes up over top of it. Now, if I'm set up so I'm a little off to a side, you know, uh, then it's a little bit different. So if I've side-hilled a little bit and I threw that call and he came over where I have a broadside, I just the thing that I would have done is I would have tested the waters to him coming into me just because he had an aggressive you know, I, I would have put the ball in my court rather than going over, knowing that bull's within 150 and catching myself with my britches down, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, that's 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 pretty much what happened. And then, all right, so I'll move on then because okay, this, cool. this was a super cool encounter, and I was in a bunch of bulls. Um, so that bull runs, right? He I spook him. He runs out to about 60, and, of course, Now, when like he you runs out to say, 60 – when he did he stop and turn broadside at 60 he did he did and i was gonna say 
you you just did an Instagram post about it the other day about yep. bulls have a fatal flaw because they're going to stop and they're going to see what it was. But he runs out to 60 and I'm hunting by, by myself. And here I am again, I've got this bugle tube trying to get a range finder out. I got this bow that doesn't even have an arrow on it. Mm-hmm. And so bugle tube goes down. I decide, okay, a quick range. And to, to really be honest, I don't know. I say he was at 60. That's my range estimation. The rangefinder said 60. It was pretty thick, though, and that rangefinder could have hit something different. But either way, I was going to go with 60 yards. I get an arrow knocked. By the time I get an arrow knocked and get ready to draw, he's done, right? He's already right. had enough because that takes, what, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds to kind of un- unscrew yourself, I guess, and, and kind of get your composure and start making things happen. And so he's gone, right? And I'm standing there. I've got an arrow knocked. And now I'm ready to shoot. Kind of feel a little bit deflated, a little bit defeated, super excited because of what just happened, right? I'm in close on this bull and I called him in and, you know, it was just a really, really cool encounter. Here's mistake number I don't know. We'll go with mistake 12 at this point. Right. But I learning moment, learning moment. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Lessons learned, not mistakes. So I take my arrow off and I am putting my arrow back in the quiver and I look up and here comes a, a big six by six coming in at me hard head down and he's coming in fast. And I would say he was probably it. He wasn't a lot. He was off to the side, but he wasn't a lot further than that little raghorn. He was coming in pretty hard, though. I would say maybe eight, 70, 80 yards, but mm-hmm. coming in fast. And here I am again, <laughs> no arrow <laughs> knocked, not totally unprepared for this situation. And I step behind a tree. There's a nice pine tree sitting there, you know, and I right. step over behind that. I quickly get an arrow out, get everything ready to go. And I pop back out, getting ready to full draw. And that dude is long gone, right? He saw me that quick as soon as I moved behind that tree. And he was, he was gone or I won't say gone. Cause I, I kind of think maybe he's the one that I called back in again, but he wasn't there for that shot. So, so this so time why I did le- you jump behind a tree? Well, I don't know. I, I would say just reaction, right? You know, right. Yeah, hide, hide, thinking right? now hindsight is always 2020. Uh-huh. I should have stayed there and not made that huge movement right. and slowly got that arrow back out and, and knocked it and drawn. Um, maybe it would have worked out better. I, I'm sure it probably would have because I, that quick movement was, oh, I don't even know how he saw me because I was wearing my Sitka gear and you just can't see anything <laughs> Sitka gear. No, I'm just kidding. But, but no, I think that just that Shameless, movement, man. You're shameless. You're shameless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the, the, it was that movement. It doesn't matter anything that animal knows that that is just not the right that wasn't supposed to happen you should have absolutely number one knocked an arrow because your body is going to hide a lot of that movement when you when you keep that bow in front of you and you pull that off and you use that hand you know that hand motion i'm talking about where you've got the arrow in the middle you come Mm -hmm. back click click and you're on Mm -hmm. because you're not able to kill anything without an arrow on the bow right right yeah right absolutely so must i guess mistake number 12 or 13 was removing the arrow from, you know, just unknocking the arrow. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't know that there was more bulls in there. I thought that was just some goofy 
raghorn that was out there doing whatever, you know. So another mistake too, I'm thinking if there's one and especially mid to late September, there's probably going to be more. And I, I should have realized that and I should have stayed ready. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I really don't think that was a mistake at all. I mean, you know, uh, you've just blown an event that's happened opportunity there. Uh, you're not wanting to walk around with an arrow in your bow. So you pull it off and you put it in. Now, I don't have I don't think that's a big deal. But as soon okay. as you saw that critter moving in at 80, your first reaction should have been pull an arrow, get it knocked right there and, and not moved your body at all, because that's going to be a real small movement doing that. Now you have arrow on, and now you're looking at what's happened here. And now you're evaluating, well, what am I going to be able to do as he comes in? You have a diaphragm in your mouth at the time? You know, I, I don't think I did. Somebody asked me that the other day too. And I don't think I did. Even if you didn't, I mean, yeah. it's really, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, right. that, that's an easy, so, you know, I, I would have gotten that on, and as that bull is coming in, I'm immediately looking, okay, at his, at his path that he's going, possible shooting lane, possible it's going to happen if he's going to be on top of me, and I'm going to stand in, man, I'm not going to make any other movement other than get my arrow ready and turn my body ready to shoot however, which direction I see he's going. If he's going to my right, I'm going to slowly turn to my right so that I can give myself the widest shoot angle as possible because it's so much easier to turn towards your left so I, I'm just doing that and I'm letting him come because here's the deal and here's what I tell everybody even if this bull runs almost on top of you okay if he's coming and he comes right into you and let's say he's coming in and he's now at 30 yards he's at 20 yards he's at 10 yards well as soon as he gets at that 10 yards or even at that five yards I, all I'm doing is I'm drawing, okay? Because remember, elk have a fatal mistake. Now, I mean, he knows that bulls are in the area. He's here, he's heard bugling. And so I draw on him, and what is that ammo going to do? He's going to, he's going to dig in. He's going to stop. He's going to turn. He's going to run. And it might be 10 yards. It might be 20 yards. But he's going to stop, and he's going to turn broadside to figure out what in the heck just boogered him, man. Mm -hmm. So I, I think... In that situation, a lot of us like panic. Oh, he's getting closer. He's getting closer. What do I do? What do I do? And and all you have to do is just stay within, let him come in, and draw. Just draw. And, you know, one thing Gilbert always says, and I say all the time, you have to draw. So if that animal's coming, just draw on him and, and watch what happens with this. I think it would have been so cool to, to have seen further what would have happened with that, man. Oh, well, me too. I would have definitely <laughs> loved to have seen that, what would have happened with that bull. But so anyway, that he boogers out of there and he's gone. Um, I. I left my arrow knocked at this point. What thinking, a cool okay, encounter, so, though, man! Just what a cool oh, Joe! It was so it was so <laughs> incredible. So there's two bulls, all in within a couple of minutes, maybe a minute. I don't even know. I've got two already. Um, he comes in. So at this point, I'm like, okay, this is. So that little raghorn wasn't just a, a freak event. There's bulls here, right? So now I leave the arrow knocked. Um, I bugled again, if I remember right. I don't exactly remember the call sequence, but seems like I bugled again and I got another response and I was trying to move myself to set up to where I actually had a couple of avenues to shooting shoot, lanes, right? right? I had a, a shooting lanes and I bought, I brought in another bull that actually he picked the one spot where I didn't have a shooting lane to come in 
and I could hear him coming, crunching sticks. And I was, I was trying to move a little bit, but I'm remembering back to what I had just done with that previous bull thinking, uh-huh. okay, don't, don't move that much because I already blew this one out of here. So I don't want right. to blow this one out. Um, so he comes in in kind of a bad spot and he gets down in a little depression type of thing mm-hmm. and he stops right there. And that depression was completely covered up from my view was completely covered up with brush and sticks and pine trees, like no, no shooting lane whatsoever through that stuff. Um, and all I could see is him standing behind this brush and this pine tree. And at the top of the, the brush, all I can see is big antlers. And that was it. I couldn't <laughs> see the top of the head. I uh-huh. couldn't see the body. I couldn't see anything except these tips probably like the top three or four inches of these tips just moving around behind this brush. And I'm thinking, (laughs) you have got to be kidding me. And this dude was at 18 yards. So he's there. He's bugling at me. Oh, wow. He's bugling at you on the other side in the brush. On the other side. He's not moving. He's not doing anything. And I'm standing there. I haven't drawn yet because I'm thinking like, I, I can't, I don't know how long he's going to be. I, basically I was sure. waiting for him to start to make that movement out of the brush. Cause I right. knew I couldn't see his head, but I knew he wasn't coming out of there. So I was waiting for that movement. And then I was going to draw because on either side of that brush, I had shooting lanes that were, so I could have shot patient, through those. Waiting, right. Yeah. Stay impatient and waiting. He bugles at me and I didn't respond. And I can't remember if I had the cow call in my mouth, I wasn't going to bugle because I didn't have enough hands for any of this stuff. Right. There was no, I I was focused on the bow um, and being ready to draw and making sure everything was right with the bow and sight was whatever bow was good. Everything was ready. And this dude bugles and I didn't respond. And maybe 10 or 15 seconds later, I'm not really seeing those antler tips anymore. I'm not getting any more bugles and I just don't really hear anything. And at that point I decided to move to make something happen. Uh And I positioned, I slowly kind of worked my way around keeping that brush in front of me, you know, kind of military style, right? I'm trained that way. So Uh I try to keep the target in front of me and I move around to where I can see inside of that brush and he is gone. That guy walked out of there he came in sounding like a herd of elephant, herd of elk, right? Coming down yeah, the yeah. hill. And like he left, <laughs> he left without making a single sound out of that brush. And it still blows my mind how they can do that. Cause that's not the first encounter I've had like that, where they come in hot and hard and they leave just so like they're what, not even touching the ground. What kind of bugle tube do you use? You use a bat? Yeah. I use the Rocky mountain hunting calls. Um, yeah. bully bowl or something so, like that so this is this is a point that i make to a lot of guys when they're especially solo uh with a partner it doesn't matter at all but in i heard you say i didn't have enough hands and uh i can tell you this is one of the exact reasons that i use a flexible tube with a string around Um, so that it's hanging on me Uh, because of the exact reason you're talking about the motion to be able to hold that tube it ends up probably a lot of times in your situation going down to the ground and now for you to get that tube again you got to go down to the ground you gotta reach for and it's just it's just hard it just adds that difficulty it it adds a, a failure point and 
what I like is, like I said, if I have that grunt tube and it's on a string so it's draped around my shoulder on the other side, even if I have an animal, and let's say that I am right here and everybody can see this, when I have a flexible grunt tube, I have it so that, and it has a curl to it and it's draped, so it almost does the exact thing underneath. So all I have to do is, even if I'm here holding and I have my arrow on, now it's a little different with you guys with a release because you got to put your release on, I'm fingers. But all I have to do is I reach down here and I can grab the mouth of my grunt tube. I can pull it up here and I can throw because it's, it's, it's going underneath my arm back to my back. Mm -hmm. I can throw a real light bugle back behind me and make something happen. And as soon as I do that, I've done this so many times with elk looking right at me. All I have to do now is I just push that tube right down just like that, rehook, and I'm ready, man. And I've done all of that. I've thrown a call back. I've been able to do that call right here. Uh, with a grunt tube that I don't have to reach all over the place for. As a solo hunter, I think that's something so many people ought to look at because, you know, even if you wanted to throw a call at that point and you have a bat, now you got to turn your head, you throw it back, you know, you're, you're trying to do that or trying to do it in some awkward position or something like that. So uh, that's just something I want to put out there that, that might have helped save the day. We don't yeah. know. I mean, okay. so many variables, you know, in situations <laughs> yeah. like that. You yeah, know? and I, I probably could have cow called. I don't remember if I had the call in my mouth, but even yeah. I could have just – yeah kind of a thing and yeah i could have done something whatever situation yeah. that i that was new to me and i was trying to work through it on my own i it didn't work but even cooler than the other encounter where that bull was coming <laughs> in on me i had this dude at 18 yards so now i've called three bulls in and how much time has taken place in this maybe five minutes oh my so, god and that's that's probably a long uh, five or ten you know, yeah it's but it's quick, right? All yeah. of this happened because just, just think a few minutes ago, I'm coming up over the hills spooking this raghorn. So I'm, it's, I'm in a super cool spot right now, man. My life is good and I'm happy. I'm in the middle of bulls. I just got into the woods. I started at the trailhead at 530 and this is all going down at like 730 in the morning. So I'm happy. Um, so that kind of happens. I get, I wait a couple of minutes and I can't tell you exactly how much, but I wait a little bit and I rip off a couple of more bugles trying to bring something in. And I had also moved myself to a, now I'm in a really good spot that was sort of an open meadow that I had 40 yards where I could shoot everywhere in front of me. Uh -huh. And I kind of tucked myself back into some trees behind me, you know, and I, I just tried to put myself in a good spot now where if these things are going to come in on me like this, I, I'm in a good spot. I felt far, like I was. How in far a good a, a, uh, to the other side of this little park you're in? Forty yards. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I can, you know, if there was something that was even ten yards into that, there was sure. a few different, and I could shoot fifty. I, I'm comfortable at sixty with the shooting. So, but anyway, most, I most elk though, when they come through, they're going to come through and stop and look. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. You know, unless it's really, really open on the other side, they might start, you know, 10 yards in. But if there's, yeah. if it's any kind of thick, they're going to come out and they're going to look. So, no, you're in good position. So I had myself in a pretty good spot there. And then I, I waited a few minutes. I bugle again. I think I even raked a tree this mm -hmm. time thinking, okay, I'm stepping my game up because I've already dealt with three of these dudes and none of them really wanted anything to do with me. So now I got to step it up. 
So I'm raking, I'm adding a little bit more growl to my terrible bugle. My buddy Dan calls it my my wounded coyote turkey call combo thing. Come on, Dan. Anyway, yeah, so I'm adding a little I'm adding a little growl to it and I'm stepping it up and I get another bull bugling back at me. He's pretty he's a little bit out there, maybe a hundred or so. Uh-huh. And this time I'm thinking, okay, these dudes are coming in to me. I don't need to go to them right now. They're coming to me. All right. And I brought this bull in again. He bugled again just on the other side of this meadow that I was in. There's a little grassy area. Right. So he's maybe 60 or 70 or something like that. And that I, I never heard from him again after that. Hmm. Um, I did. I, I went. I so after all of this happened, I started to kind of make my way up the mountain thinking I pushed him up. And as I was walking through there, I found like fresh 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 sign on the ground where you could tell like it was right now so that bull was in there i just never got a look at him so right. i brought him in there too um and then i started making my way around so up the hill at this time i i have not heard you once say that you made a cow call i mean everything's just been bugles and and them reacting to the bugles yeah i don't think i made very many yeah i, I okay. really don't it seems like uh and and it's all kind of running together. I'm sure I threw some out here and there. I remember when I first started and I got that initial bull to react, that initial raghorn right. to react. I bugled and I was doing some cow calls in that area because I, my thinking was I wanted to be a bull and a few cows right, right to try to bring right. something in. Right. Um, but I don't remember if I was doing cow calls during this whole five. I'm just wondering what, you know, what their mode is. If these guys, I mean, it seems like they're responding to your bugles and they're coming into your bugles. So, I mean, I always tell guys, you give them what they want, you know, what Mm -hmm. they're responding to. So I I just thought that was pretty interesting at at this point in time. Just a side note. Sorry, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever it was, it was, it was working pretty good. And (laughs) after that, I never, I didn't see another bull or hear from another bull the rest of the day. It's just About everything quiet as this. Um, I think the last bugle. Nine o'clock? Uh, probably, yeah, about nine, something uh-huh. like that. So I actually, I think I said 7.30 earlier. I think it was about 8.30 when I got that first bull. And right. by nine o'clock, everything was pretty much done. So it took about 30 minutes for the whole, for that first bugle response until the time that I started moving up the hill and all of that. It was about 30 minutes, I guess. Um, yeah, started moving. I wasn't hearing anything the rest of the day, but it, that heat was coming in. It was kind of a hot weekend. I, I want to say it got up into nearly 80 degrees that day. Yeah. So um, the moon, I don't remember what the moon was really doing, but it seemed yeah. like it was hot enough. They were moving at nighttime and I caught them on the tail end of whatever it was that they were doing pretty bright it was pretty bright at the time i mean if you're talking that labor day weekend that seventh i mean it was... no this was that was dan's hunt my hunt oh, okay. was uh the third weekend in september like the oh, okay. 17th through the 19th or whatever oh so you that's were, probably yeah wrong. you were on the dark end of the moon then at that yeah time. i think it was yeah. dark yeah because last weekend we had about a half of a moon right and that was last weekend with jordan so yeah Anyway, so um, so my what a weekend, man! Yeah, I mean, it was killer. It was I mean, awesome. I mean, I don't know how good that is because it almost kind of, you know, it says like, yeah, I can be a weekend warrior. Look what happens, you know. 
I, I think a lot of guys can be one day warriors and get and get into it, Ryan, if you find the right spot. And absolutely, I sent you that spot on the map, and yeah. and and there's oh, thank no. Thank you, by the it, way. I, I sent that out to uh, about. Oh 30 yeah, well, my... <laughs> very good. I knew I could trust you, Joe. But, uh, the, bro code, uh, man, bro code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it it's not a spot where you would really expect to to find them. And the only reason we went in there was two years ago when I was hunting with Gus, we just gave it a shot. You know, it was kind of a hail yeah. Mary. Let's go up in there and see what happens. And we got into some bulls that year too. So I thought, well, why not? There is a nice pass where they can get to the other side of the mountain. And um, it, later that day, I ended up talking to another hunter that had killed a bull in there. And he said that he killed it almost up at the top. So okay. when I was in the top being, well, the top would be almost a ten six, ten seven, something like that. Um, I was down around ninety five hundred, ninety three, ninety five hundred when I was encountering them. And he said almost at the top. And I, I didn't ask him exactly what elevation, but he he said it was up there enough that he was going to get horses to go pick it up. He wasn't messing around with hot, carrying that thing out. So, right. um, but yeah, so somebody did get a bull in there he laughed at me and he was like, I think maybe that was you bugling down in there. And I said, or, or a dying oh. coyote, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said, Oh, I, I have a terrible bugle. And he was like, yeah, I didn't really want to say that up front, man, but yeah, it's not very good. And I said, Hey, good or not, man. I had bulls all over me that day. So I, whatever. Maybe hey. they like that coyote turkey combo. Heck so yeah, anyway. man. And, and everybody that's listening to this, remember the worst elk calls I've ever, and if you guys hear a bunch of banging, we got construction going on here at the house too. So sorry about that. But the worst elk calls that I've ever heard were from elk, man. And, you know, uh, I think there's some things that, that uh, elk, when they hear it being, you know, done wrong, that it kind of, you know, like there's some chuckles that should never happen out there because I, I don't think many elk mess up on their chuckles. You know, it, it, yeah, it is right. what it is. But when it comes to bugling, man, I've heard, I've heard the most horrible, I've heard bugles that sound just like dying cow. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. You know, you hear two toners, you hear three toners, you hear uh, raspy one toners, you hear guys that sound like they have laryngitis. So, you know, uh, especially that you're bugling and elk are coming in at this time. It, it, it almost seems like, you know, they're just measuring each other up. And, and I think knows, so. That, that bull that disappeared on you might've been the one bull that had two or three cows with him and really didn't want to, you know, go get in close to you. And so, yeah, you, you don't know any, you know, there, it's hard to tell why. And there's another thing that I want to tell guys out there when you're hunting public land, there's a lot of times that you're working an animal and they're calling and they're coming in and all of a sudden it's like, whoosh, I mean, it, it just gets church mouse quiet, right? And and you're going, well, what did I do wrong? You know, what happened there? Did I do this call? Did that call? And unbeknownst to you, sometimes there's a, another hunter approaching them either from the wrong wind side or they get in between there so that they're seen. There's a lot of things that happen that we don't know the other variables that could have caused that to you know, just go south on us. So, you know, don't be so hard on yourself when that happens. If a, if a bull shuts up and you have the wind, um, it could have been even another bull came in on them and, mm -hmm. and chased them off. There's there's a lot of things that can happen. And, and that's why I'm a lot of times in your buddy Gus mode 
you know, um, is because if I'm hunting public land, and, and you said you were kind of limited on hunters there, but, a, you know, where I hunt, <laughs> it's not limited. And a lot of times if you don't go in and you're not aggressive and, and go in there to try to uh, seal that deal, if you wait on it, there's just too many bodies in the woods sometimes or, you know, that could just, you know, happenstance end up in your setup and, and blow that out. So that's another reason that sometimes on public land, you got to be a little ultra aggressive there. But, yeah. And that guy was in there. He killed uh -huh. that bull that morning. Oh, wow. And he was, he was list He was hearing my calls and mm -hmm. likely some of the calls that I heard were probably him. Yep. And you bring up a really good point and I never really thought of it, but they could have, he could have shot that bull and blown everything out of there and it was it was done nothing wanted to talk at that point and that yeah. i mean potentially that's why they shut up around nine o'clock yeah morning. you just don't know there's so, so many other things that are happening out there that we're not aware of you know mm -hmm. so yeah and it was the he was the same hunter that i saw down low so and he went into the woods at I, i'll say like 83 100 feet i went up to around 93 95 trying to get up above him Right. And then he, he was hiking all morning and just, just went up a different route than what I went and ended up up above me. So sure, um, there's a lot of moving pieces out there, no matter where you're at. Absolutely. Um, so that's, a, I think that's a good point too. So you had, um, I mean, that was that weekend. You ended up with another one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So last weekend I was with Jordan so that. I came home, I had to go to work, um, and then I was going back up, and I got to meet my buddy Jordan and my and Ryan, both of them good friends of mine. They came out from Texas. Jordan is, of course, the he does all the Instagram, social media stuff for backcountry rookies. He's my partner in all that. So anytime we get the chance to hunt together, we do. And we only had really about one day to hunt together this past weekend, last weekend of September. And... Um, <laughs> so we went back into the same area thinking okay well it's been a week there's limited pressure i wasn't up in there coyote calling at them <laughs> and so we, we decided to get back up in there we heard some bugles early in the morning and we were trying to move through moving into the same bugling um it got to be kind of late in the morning and started warming up so we went up toward the top and we took our lunch break and kind of hung out and you know ate some food and relaxed for a little bit and then we started, we decided as the day got a little deeper, uh, we would make our way down and kind of just hit the trails and kind of off the trail and kind of weave back and forth, just kind of a wide swath, but make our way down the mountain. Uh, <laughs> we were on our way down and I told Jordan and Ryan, I said, look, last weekend when I was up here, I thought I heard some bugles from way up on top of this mountain. I said, let's get through this meadow and once we get into the woods, I'll rip off a bugle and see if we hear anything up, up there up high. <laughs> we get through the meadow and we get to the other side of the woods and I rip off a bugle and not 50 yards away, Joe, we hear some crashing in the, off the trail. And I oh, look wow. over and I see a, <laughs> I see a cow, an elk cow hustling to get out of there. Right. And I'm thinking, oh my God, there's a cow. I have a bull tag. Keep this in mind. I've got a bull tag. Jordan has a cow tag. Right. I look over. I see the cows hustling out of there, and I tell Jordan, there's a cow going that way. He takes off, right? We're trying to think we may be able to head it off, get a shot or whatever. So he uh -huh. 
he, not like he's running down the no, trail no, or anything, yeah, but he's, yeah. he's getting down there. And I, so I give it a minute and then I kind of get down into the woods thinking I'm going to push some cows, maybe Jordan's direction. Mm-hmm. Right. And Jordan gets down the trail a hundred yards or so, and he's looking for some cows and he's this is right there in front of him. He looks up and there's an elk standing there <laughs> and it's a big, he's like, it was a, a big bull. So the guy with the cow he, tag ends up with the, a bull. Exactly. <laughs> the guy with the cow, yep. 50 yards, 60 happens, yards man. in front of him. He's got a bull standing there and uh-huh. I'm pushing cows the other direction. Neither one of us can shoot either one. <laughs> It's one of those things. So Jordan comes back down the trail and, you know, he comes down in the woods and he's giving me the big bull, big bull kind of a sign. And he's pointing, go that direction. And I start heading that way and I started bugling my way down towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and we're making some noise. He's in there. I, he was raking a couple times and kind of making some noise and crashing around, breaking sticks. I'm bugling. And we, I, I walked well past where he saw that bull, well past and walked through there and never saw anything else. And I, you know, I took my time, arrow knocked this time, <laughs> ready to go. And, and I was totally ready for this encounter. And uh, I just, we didn't, we just didn't see him in there. And I think we pushed him out of there. Uh-huh. We backed out and Jordan and I, we kind of talked about it afterwards and we said, well, that was 100% the wrong approach on that. Or maybe, maybe not the wrong approach, but we felt like we did it wrong. He, he felt like we probably should have softly cow called a couple of times to uh-huh. whatever was going on in there. Likely they were bedded up. All the grass in there was mashed down, and it looked like a little bedding area that they had, had set up. And maybe if we would have softly cow called, we might have brought that bull back to check on that cow is what yeah. we were thinking right. after the fact. Of course, hindsight is At that time, you didn't know there was even a bull right. in there. However, uh, that, that's another point, too. And what I tell people, like, uh, I'll see you guys, and, and they'll see a cow or they'll see a bull. And uh, and they're like, you know, they get – and I and I do this as well. A lot of times we get tunnel vision on that one animal. And what I tell people is when you see a cow, immediately start looking around because there is more than one elk there. These are herd Mm -hmm. animals. Now, if you see a cow with a calf, there's a good chance that they could be off on their own. A lot of times with another cow and a calf. But you know, when you see one elk, especially if I see a cow elk, man, at that time of year, because this is a thing called the rut happening, Mm -hmm. I'm looking around now because there's a good chance there's a bull in the area as well, right? Yeah, it was funny, though, because I just, it startled us, because we were, everybody, I was, I I blew the bugle up toward the mountain, thinking, okay, maybe there's some stuff up in there, (laughs) and we're all looking, everybody's standing there looking (laughs) up the mountain, I rip the bugle, and (laughs) all this stuff happens behind us. So we were totally thrown off guard, but just another one of those things that my point to that one is that you just never really know wh- what's there. Like th- these dudes sure. were 50 yards off the side of the trail. Yep. And that leads me to think like how many times have I walked past Absolutely. those elk yeah. that are just laying there? And I did it again, not with a elk, but walking down the trail we were, we were heading out and I'm looking at the ground, looking at the feet, making sure I don't trip over a rock or a tree stump or something. And I look up and there's a cattle cow 
30 yards off the trail standing there literally looking at me like what are who are you and i didn't see that cow until i was 30 yards away from it <laughs> just because i was looking at you know you're looking down at the trail and whatever so, thinking about whatever and let me ask you about the trail what kind of trails are these that you're walking on i mean are, are these hiking trails are these game trails uh well we used everything but on uh -huh. that that particular trail I'll hike on a game trail up yeah. up a mountain if I'm in deadfall and stuff because mm -hmm. generally that's going to be the easiest path sure, out absolutely. is what the animals use. So I'll use game trails when I'm in the woods. But this trail was a um, – it was a hiking trail. Oh, okay. It's on a map. You know, you can mm -hmm. find it on a map. Oh, okay. And um, we kind of use those for quick avenues of approach sure. to kind of get from point A to point B and then dive off into the woods. Well, a lot but, of the areas – I hunt in are a lot of logging roads or, or old cut roads, and we mm -hmm. use those extensively. And, you know, it's like you said, man, these elk are crossing over those. They're bedded by them. They don't, you know, how many times have I killed an elk only to find out there's a logging road only 20 yards away or something like that? Yeah, so, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. So that was a that was one thing that reminds me is, and I remember Gus, and I've heard this from from everybody that's successful in hunting is always be hunting, always yeah. be hunting, right? Absolutely. If you're looking at your feet, you're not going to see it. You're just, you're never going to see it. And that's why I say that that cow, it was 30 yards away. If that would have been a bull elk and there I am again, no arrow knock, me bopping down the trail, <laughs> just doing my own thing, man. And totally taken off guard. And if you're paying attention and you're looking around, you catch that weird color in right. the you know that's like uh oh hang on a minute let me evaluate this situation and then maybe you're right maybe you're 60 or 70 yards away from it yeah and then you get that arrow knock and you can move up and you're in that spot so you know i had a i had a buddy that um uh, i helped out on on the first hunt on the area that he was hunting and and i suggested to him how to hunt that area because i done it that way and been very successful early season just moving very slowly through there and doing some cow calls sound like a small group of cows right um so he's doing this and because it's called being invested when you were talking about it before and what he said was he had been doing this and after the fifth bull had come into him silent <laughs> the fifth bull came into him silently caught catching him off guard every time he decided that afternoon that he was going to 100 percent invest himself so in other words you know he's walking and he's cow calling and just because he's not hearing a response or anything like that he's not 100% invested. He's not prepared. He's not really looking. He's just doing his thing, going through the mm -hmm. woods, like you said. And yeah. I think I think that's so uh, important to think about that statement, that that afternoon, he said, well, I'm going to 100% invest myself. That afternoon, he killed a bull. <laughs> because... Yeah, no doubt in my mind. And I, I think it's just being ready. And that was a little bit of, of my fault too for not so that was something that i didn't pick up from dan and cj was hunting and and it i don't know why you get in that mode i think maybe it's late in the day and you're just not invested in it um was we were up in the like walking ridge lines no trails or anything but you could see elk down below and it was just be if you're just looking straight ahead and you're walking through and you're not really paying attention you don't even look at the down the edges of the ridge and you don't see those animals down there so no right yeah 
Yeah, you just yeah. get caught up just with a bobblehead looking forward. Yeah, instead exactly. Of really looking around exactly. because, yeah, you know, I think that's probably where um, sometimes those guys that not whitetail hunt from stands, but those guys that stock hunt um, are a lot more effective because they're trained to understand already that every step you take gives you a different angle. So it makes everything look different, you know, when you're doing that. So to really pay attention to what's going on in the woods, to really use your eyes and look for those patches and things like that. So right. no, way right. cool, man. Well, let's talk about your season, Joe. You guys <laughs> just crushed it out there on the, the Elk Bros crew. Oh, man. You know, uh, Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. <laughs> And if you talk to people that are out there, you know, I keep hearing everybody talk about what a tough season it, it, it was or, or it is. We still got some guys out there. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, we were four out of five. Last year we were four out of five. And I think for the last five years we've been like 80% and should have been 100% in our camp. Uh, this year uh, there was not a shot taken the Brendan Hulhand is is probably the youngest out of our group and and the least experienced when it comes to how we do and and learning about how we operate with elk. So he's he's getting a lot of coaching right now. But Brendan, I think, um, really made some great decisions out there because there were animals that were in tight to him and animals that weren't that were far and in the open. However, he set his limit that. I'm not taking a 70-yard shot. That's not going to happen, which 
I'm thrilled to death with. I mean, he knows his comfort zone and he did not step out of it. And then at the same time, he had an animal within 38 yards with some brush uh, going through and he was not going to risk a deflected arrow. So again, great decision. So I, you know, I commend him on that. And, you know, it's when you're in our camp and you're the one guy out of the, out of the five that doesn't get, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard because, you know, you're thinking you're seeing it done. It's like, well, I should be doing that. Well, man, I tell you what, um, we have an exceptional camp. We really do. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have an attitude, a mentality, techniques. And what's what's cool is all four elk that were taken, you know, we had one bull taken early on um, that basically was a spike that used a totally different technique just using, you know, uh, really going towards his herd mentality. Then you have... You know, and, I, and I'm briefly hitting these, and I'll talk to them a little bit more, but then we, we get Manana who kills a bull after we get snow, and we're cutting track, basically, for, for that to happen. And then when I kill, I'm third man up, basically, and I kill mine old school, and it's basically um, where I do a chase cutoff type of deal on mine, and then you have Gilbert's, you know, that uh, is, is just a, a, a true call-in. I mean, it's just that that's what it is. So, when you look at each one of us, it wasn't this common theme of, you know, partner setups, call them in, take them. I mean, we really used a buffet of techniques that, and we basically changed up to every situation and what that situation brought. And well, that's I think, what I wanted to ask. Was, was that situation dependent that you had to do those or were you guys just trying different things and it, it worked? Or were you looking at the situation and saying, look, the only way we're going to find an elk today is by cutting these tracks in the snow? Absolutely situation dependent, you know, because yeah. uh, you, you take what you're given, man. And, you know, it's kind of like I, I've, I've coached for a long time. And there's so many type of uh, there's coaching deals where a coach comes in and says, we are going to be a man-to-man team. Even though we suck at playing man-to-man, we're going to be a man-to-man team. We're, we don't have good yeah. feet. We don't understand it, but this is what we're going to do rather than taking a look at the talent that you have and who you're playing and then changing the strategy accordingly, right? Yeah. So yeah. I've always believed that you take what you're given and you work with what you're given. And, you know, when when we started out on our first one, Luis was the first guy up and uh, this was the, I think this is the second day of, of our hunt when these guys are out there and it's early in the morning. We actually, like you said, we get eyes on some animals. I mean, we come out and I actually can see them and really weren't even planning on hunting the area that I saw, that I saw these animals and we're wanting to work through that area. And so I, when we heard bugles, um, I was like, man, you know, we're not going to sit here and burn daylight trying to call something because we have whenever you hunt state land, public land, you know, uh, you had the same experience. You had to go through private property. So a lot of times you end up where you can hear animals over across a fence in another GMU or across a fence on another mm-hmm. place. And, you know, I mean, we could sit there and yell back and forth and waste all morning, or we can go hunt where, <laughs> where we can have an opportunity to shoot an elk. And, I told these guys, well, if we hear something over in this area, we're not going to mess with that. We're going to get where we're going. Well, I catch some with eyes on, and 
I'm like, okay, so they're only 200 yards away. Let me see what I can do with this. So I get them set up. And this is a hilarious story because, man, uh, these guys just trip me out anyway. Uh, this is the Venezuela Mafia. I have Luisa Manano with me. I get them set up, and I go back where I can see them. I can see their bodies, and I can get an idea. And I had told uh, Luis, I said, you know, I want you to watch these critters through your binos. They're about 200 yards away, and I'm going to try some things, and I want you to tell me the reaction. And, you know, the first thing I did was a lost cow call because I wanted to see if I could these bulls are kind of bachelored up. So I wanted to see if I could get a bull to react to a lost cow. Well, According to Luis, you know, he showed me that they're looking up at us like that. Um, I got their attention, but nothing started to come in. Well, then what I did was I slowly started to introduce a bull into this and start painting the scenario of a bull that, you know, is going to this lost cow. Maybe he's got, uh, you know, this cow possibly a hot cow. So I start doing some panning and start doing a little bit of uh, some some different breeding type sounds. You know, I did the raking and, and did the glunking and things like that. And he said, eh, you know, then I got a little aggressive. I kind of threw out a bugle to see if they'd respond to that. And he was like, he gives me the no-go on that, you know, that they're actually starting going the other way. So I said, all right, let me change the strategy. So I go back further, and now I took what could have been that bull and that cow, and I start going away. And I just start doing just kind of a location-type bugle, moving away, cow calls, moving away, just sounding like herd talk, moving away. And all of a sudden, Luis is like, you know, this is it, man. <laughs> that, that's working. That bull's starting to come. And unbeknownst to me, I hadn't seen the bull that's coming into him, right? So it ended up being a spike bull that's that's just hauling up the hill, and he can see this coming, and I just keep doing that. And when I'm looking at his body language, because he's on the edge of a clearing, I look, and he's kind of looking like he's trying to look into the thickness. Like I could tell that bull was getting ready to circle him by going into the trees and come around. So the first thing I do, man, is I start heading out into the clearing across there and trying to change the direction of that bull. And it's funny because he said, he's like, man, I wish Joe would go out further so that bull would turn and come this way. And we must have been reading each other's minds because that's exactly what I did. I went out there and started sounding like the bull turns and comes straight at him. And at one point, I think this bull is like, I mean, he said it's like 12 feet, 13 feet away going by him. Well, <laughs> cell phones, buddy, have totally changed things in this world. And Manano, who has a young son that's, uh, uh, so he was born last year, he's just a little over a year old, uh, little Tomas Jose, I you know, he's named after his uncle Joe here. <laughs> but, so he is up there and where he is set up, he's back about 20 yards from Luis. All of a sudden he notices he gets, and he's supposed to be doing some filming for us. He notices he gets service on his phone. So... <laughs> He calls his wife. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> he, he, he calls his wife, and he's like, yeah, yeah, hello, yeah, right there. Yeah, we're right there. <laughs> and, and Luis is hearing Manano talk to him, and he hears like, hey, 
there, right there. And, and he's like, right there, what? You know, and he's looking around. He's like, oh, forget Manano. I don't know why he's trying to get my attention. Because if you knew the dynamics of these guys, man, this mutton Jeff is so comical sometimes. When I've heard him on your show, and they, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that it's in, in person. I guarantee it's better. Oh, it is just too much. So he's like, oh, forget Manano. And he starts paying attention. And this bull comes and walks by him. And so the bull, as he's walking by him, he's waiting for him to quarter away. And he's going to go ahead and pop him. And all of a sudden, this bull comes up to where Manano is set up. Manano's looking at his phone, looks up at a bull coming right into him at just feet and gets startled. He goes, oh, <laughs> he kind of goes like and so he scares the bull. The bull turns and runs off, but a bulls have a fatal flaw. The bull runs off, stops broadside. This shot is now 26 yards from Luis, and Luis just just drills this bull, man. And uh, Hammered. Yeah, he hammers him, man. So uh, we ended up in a situation there because that bull ended up, because it was a clearing, and here's what I tell people as well. He had a perfect killing shot on this bull, but the arrow was sticking out on the other side, right? So that means it's flopping as that bull is running. And it's almost like you taking a whip on a horse. He sees that, and it just scares mm -hmm. him, right? It just pops that adrenaline. And so that bull runs, goes through this clearing, goes into private property and on the other side and goes, continues through the clearing and then disappears off there into the trees on the other side. Well, so that ensued that basically we had to contact the landowner and we had to wait for permission. We wanted to make sure we did everything right, that they understood what was going on and that, that we did everything that we were supposed to. So uh, th that took about five hours in order for all of this to transpire before we could track that animal. And, um, you know, Luis was like, well, why do you run so far, man, if it was a good hit? And I'm like, dude, he was like a horse being whipped. Had he run into trees where an animal has to now navigate and they have to think about, you know, other dangers and where they're going to go and get over this and that, there's no way that animal would have gone that far. But in an open mm -hmm. field with something smacking him, so we ended up coming back there, and I immediately spotted buzzards who had caught the scent uh, over there. And that bull had only gone maybe 10 yards inside the trees on the other side. Boom. Dead. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was it was, um, it was was a great relief for Luis because he thought, you know, the way he had run, that maybe I hit him wrong, maybe I hit him back. All that self-doubt starts to come mm -hmm. in, you know. Yeah. And, um but uh, as soon as I got there and I said, you know, buddy, from the shot, you told me you have a dead bull. It was five hours later. Maybe we were meant to wait this long. The bull died in the shade. It was a cool day. He died actually up like chest up. So there was nothing on each side to stay warm. It was a perfect situation. We celebrated. All five guys got on it. We packed out. We thanked them. Um, we thank the landowner for, you know, letting him know that we got it. And uh, and so everything was cool. It was all good. And, and bull one is down. Well, we get hit. We went from that 90-degree weather mm -hmm. to getting hit with 20 degrees um, and getting ice on us, sleet on us. We knew it was coming, so we kind of prepared for a little bit. The first time ever in our, our camp, I... I dug a fire pit, which we we never have fires in our camp, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
So this made Manano really excited because he he loves a firing camp and and I I cut <laughs> wood and I had everything ready covered it with tarp. So we get hit with this weather. Um, that night our tent collapses. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's just it's crazy. So a lot of guys at this point had just disappeared out of the hills. We did sure. not see another hunter man after that for a number of days and it was about three days that the temps went down below freezing we were getting snow it was miserable it was cold um but so that next morning we get up and we have to take care of everything take care of ourselves makes everything make sure everything's good so by the time we get out to hunt it's about i don't know it's probably 11 or 12 so it was going to be an afternoon hunt right? So Gilbert goes, well, Joe, what are you doing, man? How are you going to do this? I'm like, dude, this is new to me, but I tell you what, (laughs) I got snow on the ground. I'm finding me a bull track. I'm cutting track and we're going, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what uh, the Lord gave us. That's what we were going to deal with. So sure enough, and I told the guys as we were going out and uh, we took the UTV to get to an area where we were going to hunt, right? And as we're going, I'm looking on both sides, checking for track that's gone through that morning because it's about 1130 right now. So animals should have moved some. And as I'm going, I tell them, I don't want to find one track. I don't want to find the lone bull. I'm looking for something because at now, right now, the bulls have been bachelored or they have cows with them. So I was hoping to find a group of three bulls that were possibly together and then mess with their tendencies at that point in time. So mm-hmm. we're going, and as we're coming around, Luis actually sees some bulls moving through the trees. So we stop, we get everything out, we park, and I go check it. Yeah, it's three bulls. And and I look at the direction that they're going, and I tell them, okay, we're not going to track behind these. What we're going to do is we're going to do a big circle on an area. We're going to come through, and we're going to either try to get in front of them or hit their track. So we do that, and as we do it, we never come across their track. So I continue the circle and go, well, man, they maybe they went to this direction. And I come around, and we're talking <laughs> a, a big loop. We're not talking three, 400 yards. We're talking a big loop, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. Because my goal is I wanted to get in into a point where I could kind of call them off once I, I spotted them. Or, and I'm calling at the same time trying to actually pull them into us. So we keep going, keep going, and nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm like – you know what? Those son of a bucks, they didn't go 200 yards and stopped. And they're back in that area where we originally, that's where they're at. So I start coming back to that area, getting the wind right on this. So as we come in and sure enough, I hit their track, man. And as I hit their track, I start calling and we have encounters. The bulls start coming in, but they're continuing to work to a destination because we're getting to evening now and they're starting to work to a destination. So I'm like, okay, let's, uh, it looks like they're going up over a ridge. And as I'm going, I spot this bull and he sounds off up on top of a ridge and I can see him up there. I've spotted him. And what they'll do is they'll just stay up there looking down because we're kind of like in this burn area that I, that I like to hunt. And, and he's watching for us. So I'm just waiting for him to top out, go over, and then we're going to beat feet up there and try to call him to the last place he was, right? So mm-hmm. so he finally goes over. I get the guys, and I want the guys to hurry up and get there. And I'm like, okay, guys, hurry up and get there. Well, it's kind of like 
sneaking up, sneaking. I'm like, guys, get up and get there. So they get there, and I can see them up on top, and I give a call, and all of a sudden, we're getting bugles on the other side of the ridge. And I'm watching them, and I go up, and they're like, they're right down here. And, and I mean, now we have bugles. And I want everybody listening, look, this was 100 yards up and 100 yards further over the next ridge. We're in an area where we've just come through all of this. We've been calling, doing all this thing all this time prior to this. Not a single response, man, uh, except for finally when that one responds up on a ridge. So 100 yards higher in elevation and over a ridge, and now things come unglued on that side. And so I've got... Uh, why, why do you think that is? What, do you, what about that situation? Did, why did that happen that way? So the reason it happened that way is topography kept us from hearing animals. Strictly. That, okay. That's, okay. That's, gotcha. That's, gotcha. That's all it is. They're, they're over a next ridge in a bottom where we're not able to hear them, you know? So yeah. just through the density of the woods, where they're at, the, how the breeze is going, you know, and, and that's why I tell people is everybody always thinks of the rut as this, this vast regional occurrence and ruts happen in ridges and holes in an area, you know, where uh, a cow elk comes in heat. In fact, that I, I said it on one of our podcasts where when we were tracking these animals, when we were cutting track, we found an area that was tore up with horns and everything like that. And I found where uh, one of the cows had urinated and there was pink, pinkish in the, in the urine. Mm -hmm. there. So we knew that that cow had come in heat. And I told the guys, man, things are getting ready to light up because we have a hot cow. And sure enough, it was that hot cow wasn't with us, but was over in the bottom out, over the next ridge. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So things light up and I get the guy set up and Luis is going to, because he's already taken his, he's videotaping Manano on the hunt. Manano is just an assassin. This guy is just so brilliant in that Manano knows, man, if, if an animal is not in a good situation, he's going to move up. He knows I'm going to do the calling. I'm going to keep the attention. He's going to get his best setup situation. He's really, really good at that where prior to he wasn't. He was that guy that was real slow, not wanting to move, wanting to hide behind stuff. And he's got super aggressive. So mm -hmm. he, he goes down. I stay back and I bring myself on the opposite side of the ridge so that I'm trying to, again, pull those animals up towards me um, to bring them by him. And as I'm doing that, I'm hearing things, but nothing is really, it's hard for me to see what's going on. So now I can hear where the animals are and how they're going. And it almost seems like that bull is going to try to come over the ridge and miss Manano and come to me. So I move up on top of the ridge to try to pull him directly down it because Manano, Manano where he's set up. And I can see Luis and I can see Manano. And luckily there's a giant, big, uh, huge spruce and, and uh, fir trees there where it's blocking my, you know, me from anything down the ridge. So I can see, again, I can see their body language, right? And I think that's so key for a caller that's back behind because you can read your hunter. If you see your hunter kind of doing this type of thing to look around something, you know they have them in sight and they're trying to see where they went. Well, this bull is chuckling and he's screaming right down there. And so I start doing chuckling back and doing some things to pull him up. And as I'm coming, I see Manano come to full draw. And I'm like, 
Yeah, buddy, it's getting ready to happen. Well, he's at full draw, and he's at full draw, and he's at full draw. <laughs> yeah. So immediately, being a bull hunter, this tells me exactly, exactly what's happened, is that bull has stopped, and he's locked up, right? And Manano doesn't have the open shot. So all I do is I throw a cow call. And I throw the cow call, and next thing I know, bam, he takes that shot, man. And, uh, and I'm not able to see the shot. And I see him, and when I see him, he, like, he, he, he gets another arrow and he puts it on. Well, evidently, I'm not able to see, but his bull runs to a certain point, and there's another bull coming in. <laughs> So he doesn't want to, he like freezes and he just freezes there. And to me, I'm like, well, maybe he's frozen because his bull is still there and needs to get another shot. Well, Luis starts backing off. And when Luis starts coming to me, he goes, Joe, he, and he does that. Uh, I think that's universal. You I know, think so you. too. <laughs> and it's usually accompanied with eyes that are about this big around too. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And he goes, another one. There's another bull. So we had multiple bulls that were coming in to Manano. So me and Luis, uh, we actually switch positions where I start going down to where he was, where I knew he was, and he's going back to where I was. And he's trying to now call one of those bulls in for me. It was so cool. So he actually starts calling, and there is a bull that's working up. And this bull comes up, and it comes to my right, and he's ripping trees. He's feeding. But uh, as Luis is calling on the other side of the hill, the bull starts to go again like what that one was going to do with me. He was going to go across and drop off and go to him instead of coming to me. So at this point in time, I'm like, well, if I if I don't do anything, I know, you know, Luis doesn't understand, but this bull's going to go totally by me. And as a shooter, I should never call, but I had to change it to a solo situation or I wasn't going to have an opportunity. So I take my tube and I throw a bugle down the opposite direction, which turns the bull. Well, as I do this, Luis is like, whoa, we're going to put on a show? So he starts screaming over there, man. And I've got, the, I've got the bull turning, and he would do it. And so the bull would stop and kind of go the other direction. I'm like, no, dude. And so now we're having dueling bugles going on. Oh, that's funny. And that bull's probably thinking, what in the heck is going on here? Yeah. yeah. And I'm going, Luis, shut up, man. I was getting ready to yell. I was getting ready to yell, Luis, shut up, you know. And and I, I, I'm not sure if he finally realized what was going on with how I was throwing my bugles. But he then came up and he came more up on top of the ridge. Um, but he started, that bull was chuckling. And so he started throwing some chuckles and his chuckles weren't so good. And I thought at time that, at that time that it was his chuckles that was turning this bull off. And it really wasn't. It, um, unbeknownst to me, Manano's bull was laying down on the ground over there. And that bull just, he didn't want to go past that. And when I saw him like, you know, doing things like raking his, his antlers and him feeding, I just kept stalking in on him. And I'm real aggressive. I'm like, well, if he's not going to come and he's that calm, I just kept getting in. Every time I would get into about 70, he would kind of walk off a little bit. And Luis is doing everything he can back there. And he's he's just doing everything he can to try to make this happen for me. But for some reason, and I know now because of that other bull, that bull wasn't going to come in. He, he wasn't going to mm -hmm. go past that, that line, that scent line of that 
it was a bull, but it had that blood and had that mm-hmm. other scent with it. So, dude, I'm like, it's it, daylight is starting to go down more and it's starting to go down more. And I'm like, man, we're going to have to get on Manano's bull. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and play with you all day like this. So I decide screw this, man. I'm going to get ultra aggressive. I'm going to start screaming to this guy and walking straight at him, which I do. And I'm like 35 yards as I'm coming in on him. And a bull jumps up off the ground in front of me. And I, I didn't know Manano's bull was there. And so his bull jumps up, startles me. That bull goes off. So it just like blew the whole situation. Oh my gosh. And, and I'm like, so you pushed Manano's bull out of where it's dying bed. Yeah, out of his dying yeah. it, okay. it it oh, jumps wow. up wow. and but it only goes about thirty yards and he puts his head down. I mean this bull is like dead on the hoof, right? Yeah. Um, right. So we're waiting for this and I was like and, and as soon as I saw that bull going, I, I told Manano, I said, you know, I, I signaled him up and I said, look, I'm going to distract him. I want you getting up on the broadside. Let's finish this guy. I want it quick, man. Let's put him down. So I start going off to the right side of the bull as Manano's going towards the left side. And all I start doing is I am just screaming bugle after bugle after bugle. I mean, it's ultra irritating just doing this, right? And to cover his sound and his movement. And so he goes over and he shoots the bull. Bull runs about another 30 yards, goes down. I can hear him gurgling. So it's like lights out. So my focus is on his bull like that. And I just start to walk up like that. And they're all, you know, Luis is trying to get my attention from behind. And I turn around. He's going, all of that (laughs) bugling that I did. I mean, he's just throwing his arms, pointing. No, dude, look, look. And I look up and there's like four spikes walking into us, you know, like that. And we had had, and I didn't see it, but another bull had come over and I had already spooked him off and the spikes were still coming. But again, so I, I've told people about this a lot of times that, you know, I've had times when I've tried to call Chav in to help me out where I'm just screaming a double bugle for Chav to come into me and I've called in four different bulls. Well, all I'm doing is just this stupid bugles, man. I mean, screaming after scream after scream and, and not a whole lot of form to them, just making a lot of noise. And I had a bull that came over the top of the ridge. I didn't see, was only 20 some yards to me. He busts out and here comes these spikes into me. So now it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm playing with these spikes now. And I almost shot one of those spikes. He came in at about 30 yards, again, had some branches and I chose that wasn't the shot I wanted. And mm-hmm. again, I got tired of the situation because we had to deal with Manano's bull. So I just blew everything out of there and, and we went and dealt with that. So, uh, I mean, what what a crazy thing from my God. So I want to stop you because I'm curious. I want to go back a little bit to where you, you came up over the hill Uh and you, it was bugle fest, right? You said you, the terrain allowed you to start hearing from stuff. So what time frame did that take for you guys to get this set up and to start working and in Manano to get the shot? And then how long was it before you switched position? Because to me, this sounds like <laughs> an afternoon, right? This sounds yeah. like a whole thing, but this really could be a 45-minute scenario. What, so, what's all that take for you? So from the time those guys got on the hill to when Manano shoots his bull is probably 30 minutes, okay? Okay. 
right, it's mm -hmm. probably 30 minutes because of just hearing the bulls, working them, and which bull was going to come up, and then finally getting myself in position to put that one chuckler by him, right? So that was about 30 minutes. And, and I'd say it was probably um, around when we started around 4.30 that this started okay. to happen. And, and then once his bull was down and we did the switch switcheroo right there and I started playing, I probably played with that other bull and those other ones for about an hour and a half. Okay. Literally wow. an hour okay. and a half. Yeah. So yeah. it's a good, that first initial thing though, sounded pretty quick. It yes, all was going absolutely. down pretty good. So, and yours yeah. probably would have ended much, much quicker, but you didn't know that bull was laying over there bleeding out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. and yeah. I didn't know that that's what it was. Kind of that uh, that shield that was holding that other bull back from coming to me. Seemed like every time he was wanting to come, he would circle that area, and and it had to have been what was going on with that other bull. That's the only thing I could figure. Yeah. He just didn't want to go yeah. past that. But no, okay. you mentioned earlier you were talking about those extenuating circumstances. Like me, I had that other hunter up above me that caused everything to spin in a direction that I had no idea was going to happen. And I think the same might've happened to you guys with that bull laying there. Had yeah. you known that, would you, if you knew that bull was laying there, what would you have done differently for that yeah. scenario? God, I don't know. I don't know that there's anything you could do differently. You just try to work it. And, you know, um, I think had Luis been able to read a little bit earlier, what was going on in the situation, but I mean, he was, he's a young caller um, who, you know, he's, he's really doing a great job and, uh, he's, he's coming around so good. And I really wanted him to call a bull in for me. I, you know, I've, I've done that for those guys so much that they really want to return that. They, they want that notch in their belt, man. They, they want to call a bull in for Joe Gillia. So yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah Who he, doesn't, right. I want to do that too. <laughs> I yeah. want you to do it too. Man. Yeah. Right. Right. You know? Someday, Joe, someday. Absolutely, yeah. man. So, uh, you know, we, we took care of that, that bull that evening, man. And it, it was just really, really cool. So now I've, the, you know, the mafia is filled out. And, uh, so I'm going to turn my attention to working with Gilbert and, and, uh, and Brendan and, um, you know, <laughs> we go out together the following day. And in that morning, man, we end up in, and it's foggy, it's freezing. It's one of these, it is one of the most incredible morning. It, it is an elk hunter's dream. I mean, mm -hmm. we literally get in the middle of probably about 300 head of elk, multiple bulls screaming all the place. It's, uh, it's foggy, it's misty. And so you're trying to move in and you see bodies moving in the mist. It's just so dreamlike. I mean, it was just so, so cool. But we ended up with a hunter coming in the middle of that. And I kept trying to work wind and somebody else came into it and it would blow it out. And we could just not get the the situation right um that that morning so we ended up um going to an area where i actually in all of this that's happening we just keep moving to get out of that current situation because groups are moving to destinations from this and i end up getting with gilbert and uh, and brendan and i call a, a bull in actually two bulls into them um by getting them set and started bringing these bulls to them. I go up on a ridge to pull them like I'm going away. And, and sure enough, the animals come in and 
one bull, both hunters had an opportunity here and there were lessons to be learned from it because Gilbert ends up with a bull at 35 yards and Gilbert's an incredible shot. I mean, he's been hunting with me for 11 years and he's killed elk, you know, prior, now it's seven years straight. And this bull comes in at 35 yards, Gilbert pulls back, goes to look through his peep and sees nothing but black because his peep has turned on him, right? So mm-hmm. he ends up in that situation, you know, with a failure point that uh, he's trying to fix that while the bull's standing in front of him and he ends up losing that opportunity. And you only get so many opportunities. And, he, you know, we had a strong conversation about that. And I talked to a lot of these, what are you going to do if your peep turns on you? What are you going to do if your arrow falls off the rest? What are you going to do if, you know, um, it, you're, it comes off, your knock comes off? We've had this happen when guys pull back and the knock ends up coming, you know, uh, off the street. Worst scenario. It always happens at the worst possible time, right? Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah. you know, what if you look and all of a sudden your pins are moved or something like that or, or, mm-hmm. or you see – I mean, there's just all kinds of these little things that you got to think through ahead of time that in the heat of the moment, how would you react? You know, like I told Gilbert, have you ever practiced not shooting with your – you know, shooting without your peep? You know, so I knew that was something he would fix. So, and in that very same setup, a bull comes into um, Brendan, and Brendan is looking at the bull through his rangefinder. So instead of having just ranged everything that's happening around him, he ends up he ends up um, watching the bull come, and next thing he knows, the bull is standing right in front of him at forty yards, and he's got his rangefinder in his hand instead of. <laughs> being ready to shoot. Hey, I know that feeling. I, like I said, there's just not enough hands sometimes, right, to do all the stuff you want to do. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, that that was a, a failure point there that we had a discussion about, where you know you can't sit, you know, you can't sit here and watch these animals. And I tell hunters I with, I don't want them looking through binos at an animal. I want them getting ready. I'll look through the binos, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell how big he is once he gets 30 yards on you. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so so we blew that out. Well, that evening, um, we go back out and this area just had 300 head of elk in it. So our idea is to start from a, re- a ridge and work through all of that and nothing man i mean church mouse quiet and Mm. we've been working and and working and hiking and hiking and we do all of this and um all of a sudden uh we're at that point when most guys are going well the sun's going down we're so many miles from camp maybe we start heading back and i and i tell them i was like look I know it's getting late here. Let's just go look over this next ridge, man. Let's just go top out the next ridge, give a yell down into there, because you're thinking about the same situation, 100 yards up, 100 yards further. Mm-hmm. We go up on that ridge after not hearing a peep, and again, get on top, and I throw out a bugle, and it lights up. Mm-hmm. I mean, just lights up. So 
we have a bull that is sounding off that is coming up to this ridge and we're starting to go down it and it's a bull pushing his cows. And I can tell the sense, the, our scent line is not working for us. He's going to hit it and most likely already has. And as we're going down, well, we have already now with, as we're starting to lose our afternoon, we're sitting here taking this slow, trying to, I mean, he's a beautiful bull. So we're trying to work him. Well, I come to the conclusion that this is, it's not going to happen. And sometimes you have to call the game, man, and, and realize with other bulls bugling there that sometimes you cut your losses and you go for the things that you can be able to do. Well, I see Manano and Manano and Brendan are working towards that bull, trying to see if they can get on him. And I turn and I'm like, no, come on, man, come on. I'm like, I'm calling it. Let's, let's go. And he's like, well, they're right there. And I'm like, trust me. You've got the wind going the wrong way. We're just burning daylight. So we bail off after these other bulls. We come down, and as we're going down, I call, and a bull screams down below me. And I point to Gilbert because I did not want my two hunters together. I've got a bull sounding off down below me. i got a bull sounding off on the top of a ridge up to my left-hand side. I tell Gilbert, go down hard go down hard. And he starts going down. I'm not worried about his noise, man, at all. And right, as, right. as he's going down, unbeknownst to us, there's a bull that's coming up immediately. And as he's go down, he blows that bull while another bull is screaming. So as soon as I see him blow up that bull, I scream this huge challenge bugle out like, you know, like I just kicked this bull's butt, right? Yeah. So that yeah. Anything else that sees him running is going to figure that, hey, you know, another bull just hook-horned him or something. So yeah, yeah. Gilbert gets down in position. This guy up to my left sounds off. I tell Brendan, move, go, go, go. And I think I'm going to get a twofer out of this. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. This is setting up really nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this guy's screaming. That's happening down there. And when he goes down, I start, I start with the glunks up there and I start yeah. with the pants up there on top. This bull down there gets incensed, man. And he starts coming up. The one screams up on the side and I'm like, I'm just like having a blast, man, because I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. something's getting ready to die here because yeah, definitely yeah so as i'm looking i start seeing the horns coming up and i can see gilbert down there and this bull's coming up and he stops and he is looking directly at me and uh and over here on this side now i'm locked in as to what's happening because i'm seeing this bull so i'm not sure what's happening with brendan on the side and as i see that all of a sudden that bull he turns real hard and he goes blowing down the hill and and I look down there, and all I can see is uh, Manano turns to me, and he goes, he he does that fist thing in the air just like that, yeah, yeah. you know. And and I'm like, because I'm not able to see Gilbert, and so I come up over the hill and I look, and Gilbert's just going, he's got both hands going up like this, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's pumped. Yeah. Oh, he's pumped. So I'm like, okay, bull hit. And I start working this one over here. Well, evidently, when all this stuff had happened, this other bull had come down and actually, you know, saw everything was happening and blew out of there. So that was done. And so I, I, I go down to uh, Gilbert, and Gilbert's like, Joe, man, he was just like, he's right here. He's right at this point. I have him at 50 yards. And, I mean, I, I think I might be a little bit high. You know, all this stuff that you that you start. Yeah, sure, the doubt and, comes in. And yeah. yeah. So I'm like – I'm like, all right, Gilbert, 
I just want you standing here. I, I, I want you guys to calm down a little bit. I'm going to sneak down. I want you to show me right where he was standing. And so he's giving me the, the signals so that I want to find the arrow down there. And because we're losing daylight. And I need some information before we lose that daylight, right? So uh, as I get down there, he's telling me this, that. And so I stop, and, and he goes to me right there. And I'm looking around for the arrow, looking for the arrow. I'm like, hmm. So I look up, <laughs> and this bull's about 40 yards down the hill, man. <laughs> just muerto. Just, you know, he's, he's dead. Yeah. So, so I come around where he can see me, and I'm like, I'm just hitting myself in the chest, man. He's like, yeah. And uh, I, then it's a cry fest. It's a hug fest. I sure, mean, sure, sure. All of us together. It was just uh, just an exciting, exciting moment at that time, man. And and if you, Gilbert's such an emotional guy. He's got tears running down his eyes yeah. like that. But, uh, you know, uh, that's when he kills his. I, I, I jumped over my, my hunt there. I just wanted to tell the story. Maybe we'll talk another time about mine but basically mine was an old school chase down is is what it was so uh was there so we, we got a few minutes i think i've got about 10 percent of battery left uh-huh for yours at old so what's old school chase fest a bugle it's moving away you're trying no, so it. so this is prior to gilbert getting his and and this is when uh we know that all these elk are up on this ridge so we're working up and i'm leading the way and I'm taking these guys, man. I, I, I've got bugles happening. And uh, this is in the morning. It's first thing in the morning. So they're going to a destination. Well, when I got animals going to a destination, I get with the program. And I'm just like, you know, boogieing up this hill. And at one point, Gilbert goes, Joe, <laughs> God dang it, man. Give me just one minute. I'm dying here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. So we stop and, uh, and, and I let him catch his air and stuff. And, and, and then we get going again. As soon as he gives me the thumbs up, I'm back at it. And we top out on top of, of this um, bench up there. And as we top out, you know, Gilbert's like, Joe, Joe, and he points over there to the left. He goes, there's a cow, man. A cow just ran right over there. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm going for this bull, man. Uh-huh. So he was hoping like, Joe, there's a cow, man. Maybe this will slow his butt down or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, he was trying to get you to stop for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, he tried to get me to stop. So yeah. I get on top, and uh, as I get on top, and, you know, I had just told him, forget that cow, and I start to take a step. And as I take a step, all of us, it's almost like whack-a-mole. I see a cow stand up. And, and this is like 60, 70 yards ahead of me. And then another one stand up. And then another one. And all of a sudden, the ridge comes alive with bugles all over the place, man, in front of us. There's some off to our right. There, There's these cows right here. And we're kind of... We had already set up so that if we got split up, Luis would be with me and Manano would stay with Brandon and and Gilbert. Well, as these animals are popping up, I hear this bull bugle right on the other side of them. And I'm trying to get myself over into the shadows and use the terrain to get around on these a little bit. Well, 
I have just now separated myself from what's happening behind me because they are locked in to some bulls over on the right-hand side. When I look back, I can see Gilbert making a move in that direction. So I'm like, all right, we're, we're each converging differently on this group. So the wind's in all of our favor. Let's make this happen. So as I start to go down, this bull sounds off on the other side of the cows. I'm only 50 yards from his cows, right? So at, at this point in time, you're going, how much more in his bubble could you be, right? Mm -hmm. So I throw up a, a, off a, a roundup bugle where I, I start to do a little bit of a kind of, it almost sounds like a cow call, but it goes right into a roundup bugle to let him know that, hey, this is a bull talking to his girls, right? And I'm figuring he's going to come charging in. Well, next thing I know, he's grabbing girls and he's starting to bail off a little bit onto that side. And I'm like, come on, you doggone wimp, right? So, I mean, I get so into it, man. I mean, it's just like yeah. I become that other bull. And and so I, as, as they start to bail, I start to come around and I do the same thing, man. I start talking to his cows. I, I round up to his cows. I start to sound like a big bull. And what I didn't know was as he bailed off and he heard me, he had sounded off a few more times where his cows were, but he actually circles and comes back at me and he busts me making an aggressive move trying to get down. And so I see him do that and he goes, but now there's about four bulls bugling in this group in front of me and they are going destination. They're going off. So that's old school. As soon as I knew that they were coming off the side of that hill and everything was bugling, I would cow call every now and then because the cows were communicating hard with me. We're, yeah, 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 you know, back and forth. I'm buzzing. They're buzzing. We're doing all of that. So if I can keep the cows close to me, the bulls are going to stay close. So what I do as they're bailing is I start bailing, but not behind them. I get off in parallel and I try to go just as hard and we're talking and we're going. And next thing I know, I, I look and Luis is right off my shoulder. He's right with me. And Luis is helping me out because he's telling me, cow, cow. He's like pointing where they're at, you know, because he can hear them farther. And he's telling me bugles and stuff. And so as they're going, I'm racing. We're going over stuff. They're going over stuff. And we get down finally in the bottom of the this mountain where it hits a small drainage and as we hit that now I've got a bugle that's going up the other side that's crossed through this clearing and is going up on the other side and then I've got some that are in front of me further up and I'm like hmm you know, I know the area. I know where these guys are going up here. I might be able to cut them off. If I go this way, my wind's going to go directly up and it's going to blow everything. So I'm going for my best odds. I'm going to go where I can get the wind in my favor, have a shot at this first group. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to head to the next one. All right. So are you staying with me on this bow, man? We're hunting, man. We're <laughs> Yeah, this is incredible. <laughs> so, so as I go, man, now now that race is no longer going downhill. This race is going uphill. They're up to the side. So I'm trying to beat them up to their location, paralleling them. And so I'm hauling and I'm going over deadfall and I'm going over rocks. And Luis is just staying right on my butt and we're getting there. And as I get up to this one little bench, as I get there, I look over to my right and the herd is feeding up right to my right. I've stayed perfectly parallel. Now they're kind of feeding towards me. The wind is great. The thermals are great for me. Everything is just really good. And at this point in the game, I'm like, because I'm trying to get everybody else an elk, I'm like, 
Joe, take a cow, get an animal because you got to help everybody else out. So I'm going to, I mean, it's completely in my mind that if I get a shot at a cow, I'm going to take her, right? So as they're feeding up, it's so thick in there that they don't see me and I have to actually kind of go down with my hands and get to a sunlit area, get in position where I'm above where they're feeding so I'm going to have a shot. So I have some kind of lane. And so I make an aggressive move. And there's a good chance they could have spotted me, but I just tried to move like the hands of a clock at this point to get there. So now I get up and I'm in position and I can see these cows below me at about 45, 50 yards. Nothing to shoot at right now. There's just so much growth in there. And so I'm watching, I'm being patient, waiting for one of them to come into a shooting lane. And as I'm waiting, all of a sudden I see this other tree like moving off to the right. And I look and I see horns. I'm like, whoa. And so I take a look and there's a bull feeding in there with the cows. So it's one of those bulls that scream coming up. Well, that bull, as he's going to, I have not said anything yet. I, I'm staying completely silent. I've got elk feeding up to me. I have the thermals. I've got the breeze. Uh, they're going to move up to me. So all I got to do is be patient, right? So as he's coming and he starts feeding, I just sat there and watched the show. And guys, man, it seemed like 20 doggone hours was probably five minutes, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So you're there, and I just consigned myself just to watching and not thinking about killing. You know, I just consigned myself to watching, enjoying it, and it lets you calm down a little bit, right? So I'm sitting there watching, and all of a sudden the bull turns, and he steps out. And in the deadfall, he steps out so that there's a, a log going across the bottom of his body. But all I can see is, and I like where I, my shot placement is, it's up that front leg, the back part of that front leg, in that crease, mid-body, three inches back. That's my location where I want to hit. That's going to give me a double lunger right there. So mm -hmm. I'm looking, and the kill is perfectly in that. And I figure it, I'm instinctive. So in my mind, I'm going, it's about 45, 40, 45 yards. So I pull back, I anchor, and I let fly. And I mean, I'm telling you, Chad, man, it was, I'm, I'm looking down my arrow. So I'm watching the flight. And as it goes, it's just perfect, and it drops down about that much low of my kill and hits that that tree right below right there Boom. oh my gosh yeah <laughs> so oh man when it hits it it's about four inches low it hits it that bull hears that bam like that he he runs he turns and he runs but he circles because he has no idea what made that sound he circles and he comes back into another window with nothing but kill showing about 10 yards further and i'm going okay joe you're four inches down so that wasn't 40 that was 50 he's now standing at about 60 so i pull back i and again i'm instinctive i look at my spot and i let fly well when i let fly all of a sudden that bull blows out and when he blows out it's just um i hear crash 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 for about 10 seconds and uh and then nothing well i never heard a thump i never heard a crack i never heard any of that man and uh so i'm like what the heck and i asked luis i go luis he goes i couldn't see anything but i didn't hear anything so again i go through the thing of well you stand here and i go down so i go i sneak down i'm looking for an arrow because i figure i went uh, you know because at 60 yards 
right as it's going, I lost it in that last 10 yards. I couldn't see it. So I figured it dropped below and went into dirt or grass or something. So I come in there and I start looking and nothing, man, no arrow. I'm looking all over the area and I was like, well, okay, there's track. I can see where he dug in. I said, I'll, I'll look at his first two track. I go track, track. I look over, Chad, 30 yards away. My bull's upside down on his back with his nose, his horns down in the ground, and his nose up in the air. Done. He done. He died in 15 seconds, man. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. You guys had it. You guys had an unbelievable season, man. <laughs> unbelievable, dude. And listen, Joe, I'm about to run out of battery. Yeah. But I got one thing on my side of the podcast here. Yes, sir. First off, thanks for sharing all of those stories. They're phenomenal. I, for all of my listeners, go listen to Elk Bros. You guys had a two-part series on the Blue Collar Elk Hunters where you talked about all of this more in depth, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, we right. did our we yeah, we did two-part on our elk camp. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Now, in the last couple of minutes, I want to talk or I want you to talk about your elk camp that you guys have because You've given so much information right now. Jeez, I wish there was a place where you could find all of that kind of information, right? Yeah. Talk about your elk camp really, really quick, and then yeah. we'll... So, uh, and yeah, what okay, he's go. talking about is the Blue Collar Elk Academy and our base camp. Our base camp is an online training course that allows me to use my coaching style to help all of y'all out there to flatten that learning curve and uh, and 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 become successful in the elk woods. And I share 40 years of my experience. And uh, I, I tell you, I, I use uh, text, I use uh, imagery, I use videos, I use audio, I use all different ways to be able to coach and teach. And, and I try to explain it in ways, uh, I, I don't force a peg, a square peg into a round hole. I try to do it in ways to help you understand. And, uh, and I'm that kind of learner. And as coaching all these years, it's, it's set up in a way you've, you would never expect. Um, it does not start from the beginning and move up. We actually start in a whole different, and it'll explain it to you on there. Uh, the yeah. way I, it's it's success-based learning. It's not failure-based learning, and and I tell you, it's I'm really really excited by it. I think you should be. I've done a portion of it. I haven't done the whole base camp. Yep. I wish I would have done the whole base camp. I maybe I'd have a bull down right now. But <laughs> it is a very very good course. So for for my listeners on, on the backcountry rookie side, I encourage you to go check it out. And if you're not familiar with the Blue Collar Elk Hunting podcast or Elk Bros, you got to check it out. All of this, all of your, I'm going to link all your stuff in my show description so you'll have it on there. Well, show, and, and I, I want to give those same kudos to you, bud, man. If people have not listened to the Backcountry Rookies, they're missing out. Um, you have incredible guests. You do a great job with your show. And, and your whole, you know, where I'm trying to take all, take all this experience and share it with people, you're trying to take how you've gained these experiences and are gaining these experiences and take them right. on your journey, which is huge because yeah. they should be directly relatable to you because, you know, you're having all these epiphanies and, and like you said, I made mistake number 12, made my, you know, learning point <laughs> number 13. I right? probably underestimated that at 12 for sure. It's probably more like 25, but whatever I I'm learning and I'm loving it, but I learned from guys like you and I think other rookies need to also, so with that, Joe, I'm pretty sure I'm about to go dead on this yes, battery. Sir. 
Hey. I'm really bummed out. This has been an awesome conversation, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for today, Chad. I, I totally enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, my passions sometimes get going, and I, and I don't stop. And I appreciate you just letting me share with you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Joe. All right, guys. Uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. All right. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.